That's right. We are here and we hope we pass our audition. It is the Beatles Get Back Part 3, days 17 to 22. It's all about the rooftop concert. I'm your host, Jeff Mater, joined as always by my brother, Dave Mater. Dave? Except when I don't. I like how you say, as always, by Dave Mater, except when I don't join you guys. But, uh, but yes, hey, hello, here I am. It is Super Mater Bros Podcasting, so I always say, as always. But we do have another group of bros, the Shields Bros. Maybe they'll have Super Shields Bros Podcasting one day. This is Josh Shields. Hey, Josh, how are you? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Good, good. Jake, we'll bring you in as well. Jake, are you ready to talk about this rooftop concert? You watched this all in one shot. I don't know how you did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm ready. Um, yeah, it's a lot of info, but yeah, He's I watched ready. it. Pretty <laughs> okay all right well let's just jump right into it for all you uh beatles fans out there this is uh the lead up to the actual rooftop performance and we kind of you know start off here on day 17 and ringo is playing octopus's garden guys dave did you enjoy the octopus's garden of it all and george helping him out before you know the big boy showed up yeah, and this is where I okay. This is my first note that I made here because I was like, "What is going on with this album?" Because like so many of these songs end up on Abbey Road, right? But Octopus's Garden's not part of the Let It Be album, right? No, no. But it seems like they're like, man, if only we could have written fourteen songs. If only we could have figured out 14 songs, then maybe we could have had this album and all these great grand ideas that they had could have come to fruition. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? You easily had an album here um, that you could have made. Like this, like I really, what I liked about the Octopus's Garden, which is a song I've always enjoyed. I think it's what it's the best song Ringo sings. And I, I, how much I always knew that George helped him write it, but you really see how much George helps him write this song. Uh, yeah, he literally just had the first part, uh, you know, and he, he even says in this episode, "Oh, that's all I've got," uh, you know. So then George is like, "Okay, let's run, let's run." He's like, "I like to be <laughs> under the sea, an octopus's garden in the shade," and it's like that's like that's my song. And then George is like, "Well, you'll need more." Yeah, we're going <laughs> to work through this. Josh, did you uh, did you enjoy the George helping him out here? Did you? Did you kind of see what Dave's saying that they had this album, but uh, maybe if they had given a little bit more attention to George and Ringo's songs, maybe they could have, you know, busted that. Or do you think that wasn't the the dynamic of the group at that time? Yeah, I mean, again, we kind of talked about it a lot last week about the dynamic and and the songwriting. I thought it was kind of interesting, kind of early on in the episode where they're talking and they're like, "It'd be really nice if we had, you know, six more weeks and we could get like a bunch of these songs finalized and have a really good album." And that's essentially what they did to make Abbey Road. Is they came back, I think, a few months later, and they they basically wrote an album using a lot of these same songs it was also funny at one point when they were talking about only having oh we only have six or seven songs and then they actually listed out all the ones that were pretty much finalized and they had like 14 or something like that so you know in these in these three episodes we probably saw the beginnings of at least you know 25 Beatles songs which is pretty cool Oh, yeah. Okay. And Jake, I think it's important to distinguish between the Let It Be and Abbey Road albums. Like, so this, the Let It Be here is, is basically this whole episode takes place at Savile Row, but Abbey Road is recorded at Abbey Road. And, you know, so it's completely different. Um, Do you think like this is like the hangout, like clubhouse feel here that we're getting with the the Let It Be stuff? And Abbey Road is when they went to work. It was a little bit more businessman like with George Martin. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think also a lot of like what they were trying to do for the live performance, a lot of the songs on Let It Be are songs that can be performed live, which is not the case for a lot of the songs in Abbey Road. Right. Um, so you're seeing like a lot of the songs that they've been working on a lot in this album, like, um, you know, Mean Mr. Mustard and Maxwell Silver Hammer, those are all songs to come, whereas these are a lot more of the songs that they they practiced and they recorded with the idea of them doing them live. So I think that's kind of where the distinction came yeah, I think like the yeah to answer like kind of what you're saying, Dave earlier is like oh well, why didn't they have 14 songs? Well, Jake just kind of alluded to they only had like six or seven that they could actually do live. You can't do Octopus's Garden live. Well, they didn't have that written yet, but like the other songs that like you know we're talking about here are like uh, you know Long and Winding Road, Mean Mr. Mustard, Polythene Pam, Let It Be. A lot of these songs are you know because they wanted to do overdubs of strings and. And, and the brass stuff so they didn't really want to like mess with those songs and expose them to an audience yet so they, they're they kind of holding those songs tight to their to their vest you know and they kind of talk about that in this episode right like because they, they, they keep it like when they when they're like well we're gonna play like six songs on this rooftop concert by the end of this episode right and really what they i think they play four or five maybe tops but they basically play get back um they play I've got a feeling. Uh, I've got a feeling, and don't let me down. They played those each a pon- twice. Dig, yep. Right? Dig a, they played Dig a Pony, and they played one after nine. And one after nine, 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 nine. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, like, and like. So after watching all of these three episodes, I'm like, man, they play like those three songs or four songs a lot because they're they're practicing them, right? You know, like you know, they, and so by the time they do it on on the on the roof, like they're well practiced, they know what they're doing. But it was like they're like, oh, we want to make these three songs really, really good, and then you know, like this whole dream of having this fourteen live song, big show in front of Arabs or whatever they were gonna do, you know, that they had cooked up, uh, never came to fruition, and we get like sort of this other thing that, which we also find out in this episode, nearly happened because they're they're humming and they're hawing throughout the whole thing. Are we gonna go on the roof? Are we not gonna go on the roof? Are we gonna do this? Are we not gonna do this? Um, And if, if not this, what then what? It seemed like, okay, we'll get to that conversation later, Dave, but it seemed like to me that the only one poo-pooing the idea of going on the roof was George, you know, and he's like, I'll do it if you guys want to do it. They're like, yeah, we kind of want to do it, <laughs> you know, but we'll get to that later. Um, well, there's a lot leading up to that that's, I think, pretty important of, like, how they are kind of operating here at Salvaro. Like, you mentioned um, the Heather McCartney of it all is coming into the room, and they're just kind of still messing around just kind of having fun like that's kind of the whole beginning part of this episode josh like do you think like is that kind of procrastination is that just the life of a musician and of a band like like it seems like paul is the guy that wants to get things done get things right but he knows he can't push these guys too hard or too far before you know he he's walking a line i kind of got that impression anyway yeah, I mean, they worked over the weekend, right? So, and I, I can't remember. I watched that first half a couple of days ago, but I think that episode where uh, Heather was there was maybe the Sunday. Like it was like a weekend day, was, so they yeah. weren't they weren't working as hard. They were just kind of playing around with the songs. Um, that whole initial sequence, I thought 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 was really cool how they kind of edited it to show them having fun like it was a nice little break almost and I think this episode just from a narrative perspective and from a thematic perspective was easily the strongest of the three it kind of showed that 
you know, they, they loosened up, they fooled around, then they got down to business. They, you know, got some of these songs finalized and then they actually followed through with the concert. Like even knowing what was going to happen, they somehow Peter Jackson made there be drama. Like, oh, maybe they won't go on the roof. Maybe that never actually happened. And I'm just delusional. It's like the Bernstein bears. You know what I mean? Like I just, it, it was, I really liked this episode. Yeah, uh, that's a good segue. Like, Jake, what what did you kind of make of, like, how Peter Dra- Jackson um, edited this? Compared to, like, the Let It Be movie, which is very somber, I feel like, yeah, Josh is making a good point about suspense and how he, he kind of builds this. What do, you, what do you make of it? Yeah, I think so, too. I think he kind of wanted the payoff for when they actually do the concert. Um, that's kind of like, all right, they're actually doing it. Like, they're playing, and, and it was a very... Um, positive kind of ending to the whole documentary where it's all everything kind of coming together it seems like for the most part everyone on the street liked it um the band seemed to love playing they all kind of had smiles on their faces so it was kind of the whole climax of the whole documentary yeah i think the the, they he really wants to show um how the beatles are nervous like they're kind of like yeah are they they're not sure of it and they don't want to do anything it seems like unless they know it's going to be good yeah it was all it was almost like they were nervous and unsure up to the point where they started playing and then once they started playing like, all right this like we got this we love doing this and they they seem to really embrace the whole situation yeah because it, it was a it is a bit of like a out of the box idea to just go up to the roof unannounced and start blaring music throughout london at like i think this is at like four or five no, it's like twelve thirty. Yeah. It's like the middle of the day. Is it the middle of the day? Okay, because yeah. they said it was like uh, lunchtime. One, it wasn't. Was it lunchtime? Okay, I didn't. I didn't look that up. But um, it doesn't. It's very overcast, and it's. I mean, it's London in January. It's not a surprise, but it seemed. It looks like it's the end of the day, but it, you know, it's not, yeah. yeah, it's just. Yeah. It's just like it's not. There's not any kind of. Um, um yeah there's just like it like it's it, it's cold up there too like it's windy and like he, like they can barely feel their hands by the end and like ringo's wearing his wife's raincoat or whatever and uh and so is john's wearing yoko's fur coat or whatever yeah they're all wearing i think their wives jackets and stuff go ahead wikipedia says it started at 12 30 p.m so it was yeah, right. lunchtime lunchtime okay cool uh yeah no it's definitely uh i guess that would probably be like the warmest time they could go up then it's not like you know the sun's going down it's getting colder and colder by the minute so it actually probably would have been the best time for them to go up there uh as far as uh heat but yeah it was uh it was definitely a dreary looking day but they brought some life to it um yeah so when it comes to the actual like lead up to the performance i think it's it's quite interesting for me to kind of notice how like Paul is like Dave, like he seems like this workaholic person of a person. Yes. And the other three Beatles are kind of like, uh, I feel like John is the second workaholic. Like he's, he's a workaholic, but on his time, you know, like he, it, like he kind of likes to, you know, go with Paul here, but the other two, I think kind of like want to just, you know, write their own stuff and kind of come in and then play with the band, but not take it super, super uber duper seriously. You know, like Paul does. I don't know. Do you kind of see see that? You know, like like yeah. he's like he's kind of pushing them a little hard, a little bit. Yeah, like the whole thing with like John Lennon was the one I really figured out more about in this documentary. Like, what what is there to John Lennon? Uh, who is he? Because he, mm-hmm. I, I constantly feel like he's two people. Yeah. Uh, you know, he has this version of him that works with Paul. 
and he's just like kind of a devout musician and he's just kind of like dedicated to the craft and then on the other hand mm-hmm. when he's he's this other john that's kind of more in with george who hates paul and doesn't like anything and is kind of just miserable and kind of <laughs> i don't yeah. know like it's kind of a cynical yeah cynic and doesn't really want to be there and just kind of wants to be contrarian all the time um not just with george but just like that's kind of like when george is kind of like negative energy and paul is kind of positive energy yeah in in john's case um you know and so even though paul is this workaholic driven kind of guy john i feel like is trying to be everything to everybody you know in this band he's trying to i guess to in his, in his way trying to be the leader but but he's kind of like, but he's more like a glue guy in a yeah, way he's, yeah he's the rhythm guitar you know he's kind of bringing it together but i don't know like like i read some other quote today from george harris and he's like john is one of the sweetest nicest guys in the world but on the other hand he's a fucking bastard and he always was and, you know yeah and that's like kind of yeah. like the contradiction to john lennon so you see like these two people coming through when you it's only something you can like get from observing somebody for like this many hours you know like where mm-hmm. they're they let their guards down and they kind of like drop things like Paul McCartney is exactly who I thought he was by the end of this. Like he, nothing of my opinion changed on him. John Lennon. I got more of a sense of like, yeah, he was a really talented musician, moody issues. George Harrison, this guy, like, come on, just again, like moody, difficult you know wants to do his own thing doesn't really belong in this band anymore and you know he's outgrown it like he's at george is at the point in his life and they all like they it's not a it's not a, a huge shocker they broke up a year after this or whatever it was right um yeah like i think i think you're right about the, the george the, my opinion on george actually kind of really changed throughout the documentary where like i felt sorry for him and i, I but I, I understood where he was coming from and then other times i was like well why don't you just like be a team player and just like kind of really, you know, just, you know, like be more enthusiastic. Like, did you feel that way at all, Josh, like about George? Yeah. I mean, I, George is, again, I think I said this on the first episode. I never knew a lot about, uh, about him. I've always been sort of a Paul guy and I like John, like John has some good songs and Ringo was on shining time station. So I love that dude. Um, But yeah, I think this episode kind of showed that George had checked out. Um, you know, he literally says in this episode to, I think it was to John where he's like, yeah, like I kind of want to do my own album so I can, you know, play all my own songs. You know, he doesn't yeah. say, why don't we do an album where we play my songs? He's like, no, I want to do my own thing. And then, you know, be able to come back and do a Beatles album after. So if it doesn't make money, I won't be poor basically. Um, and it's not that that's a bad thing. I'm sure they're all thinking about potential solo careers, but the way he says it makes me think, you know, he's kind of, he's like, I want to do my own thing and see like, you know, if I'm even better than the Beatles, like it just, it comes off like he's a little, he's a little whiny by the end of this. And who chirps up right when that was said, Josh, Yoko. Oh no. She's like, you should. Yeah. Great idea. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the evidence mounts, the evidence mounts, Jake kind of like, what did you take from like the, the whole George of it all that we're kind of discussing here? Did you kind of, like where, where do you lean? Like you feel sorry for him. You kind of he's in the shadow, or he's kind of not a team player. I, I can see where he's coming from. Like I don't agree with some of the way that he went about it, but I agree that he had a lot of really good songs that they never did, or that he knew, knew that if you know he stayed just only with the Beatles, 
that maybe would never get released or never get made. So I, I can kind of see his point of view, but yeah, he was still kind of a little whiny bitch some of the times. Sometimes, so, yeah. some of the times, like it, it came down to like, I, and I can understand like it's basically like, like, and Paul says it in this episode where he's like, I don't want to be the producer of the Beatles, but I kind of <laughs> have to be, you know. And I can see where he's coming from because on like what Dave said before too, like on one hand he's got George who kind of was like, ah, I want to, don't really like having to listen to you guys all the time. Tell me what to do. And then on John is like, you know, kind of he's up, he's down, he's with Paul, he's like. Yeah, with George, he's you know, which was apparently happening all the time in the Beatles in general. Or basically, oh, you're my best friend, and then oh, you're now you're my best friend, and and it was they would go in circles like that, and it would get very gossipy and get, you know. So I think that that also had a lot to do with their dynamic as a band. But so that's why they didn't do anything for like two years. You know, that's why like when they stopped touring, it was just pure studio work and they could kind of get away from each other or on this day. All right. I just have to work with this guy, you know, so I could see how that came across. But this 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 whole point of this whole get back sessions was to be like, okay, we're a band again. And I get this feeling a lot of the time that like they don't want to be a band, you know, Yes, Dave. Yeah, well, Ringo wants to be a band, right? Paul wants to be a band, but kind of where Paul gets his songs on most of the time. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I don't see like this like Paul being greedy, jealous, like which is kind of his reputation here. I I think that that was equally Paul and John being sort of dismissive of some of George's really good songwriting ideas. Um, and things like that. And the fact that they just had their heads up their own asses a little bit too much, all of them, you know, yeah. like they're, they're where the Beatles were the greatest friggin' thing there ever was. Right. Like they're right. like, but they're insecure. They're clearly insecure as they compare themselves to bands like the Rolling Stones and the other contemporary acts, you know, that they, they don't have it anymore. That could we get up on stage and perform? Maybe, maybe George has the, the biggest um, thing. Like, he doesn't feel good about that. I feel George is like, I do my best work in the studio, not on a stage. So why would I want to, you know, be a live performer? That's but not really... Isn't, isn't that kind of the most interesting thing? Like, I, I kind of took from this episode, and Josh or Jake, you can chime in on this one. Like, the fact that the, the way they talk about albums, they're like, oh, and their album, and they keep saying this over and over. Like, uh, like Paul kind of alludes to, like, it needs to be more visual and we need to get to a place where people see us and that's where the money is. And that's where, you know, the interactive kind of like where we are today with social media and everything that's going on. Paul was like way ahead of the game. That's what he wanted to do. Whereas Mm -hmm. the other guys were like, nah, let's just, we're good. Just making the music. And, you know, so Josh, Jake, we'll go with you, Josh first. Do you kind of see like, I feel like Paul's way ahead of his time, but at the same time, I can kind of see as a rock and roll band in 1969 and how famous they were to want to be a little bit more sheltered. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe Paul was trying to like bring a spark back to the band. You know, he, like he said, he wants it to lead up to something. He doesn't just want them all coming into the the studio arguing, you know, recording some songs and leaving. Um, what you were saying earlier and when I was watching this and, and they were talking about that, um, it kind of reminded me of George R. R. Martin you know, he doesn't want to just write more books. He wants to like make TV shows and and write other books and you know do like stuff like that. You, who wants to write another Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire book? Like that's what I think the Beatles are like at this point. They're kind of 
yeah, we've made tons of money doing this and we're like the best in the world at it, but that's boring. We want to do something different. I think that's how Paul feels is, you know, I yes. want to, I want to get to another level, even though he's already, if they just kept making albums for another 20 years, they probably would have made hundreds of more hits. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and John would still be alive. Who knows? Well, yeah. Well, that, I mean, they probably would have grown apart at some point, but I think everybody kind of goes, why not one more? Why did they break up at this point when they were basically at the, the height of their powers? You know, Jake, do you think like, you know, that, that this was the time I've heard like a Ringo interview where he kind of discussed the fact that like, you know, we're all kind of just drifting apart. And he's like, I would have went on, but you know, that the whole idea of the band leave them wanting more. Do you think that was kind of what makes the Beatles so special in some ways? Yeah, and I think going back to like the whole Paul wanting more than just making albums was, you know, he saw that what they've been doing recently has been kind of pulling them apart, whereas they were at their best and at their happiest when they were touring, they were making films, they were doing all sorts of different stuff. So I think, I don't know if consciously or subconsciously, he was thinking, all right, we got to do something different here to, I don't know, get back to where we used to be sort of thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's kind of how. Sorry, yeah, but, but like, just like where they were at this time in their life. And we talked, I talked, we talked about this when we talked about part one, but the fact that, you know, like the fact that Heather and uh, Linda McCartney are here and that their families are constantly coming in, what, what's the advantages of doing an album? You know, it, 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 like if you're George and you're maybe got some stage fright, there's that. But it's also like I can go in, I can record, we can work all day. It's almost like a nine to five job. You know, it's almost like having a real regular yeah. job. I'm just a musician. I go in, I make songs and then I go home, I have dinner with my family. You know, and like versus the days when they were on the road, going from city to city, concert to concert. I'm sure that was really exciting and invigorating. And, you know, they had the groupies and all the women screaming after them. But, you know, I think that's probably part, especially maybe in um, in in maybe George's case in particular, what he doesn't he's not eager or excited to get back to at all. You know, right. Um, yeah, he wants to go live out in like the country and just like he will eventually after this go make his own recording studio in like a castle like estate in the middle like outside of London and like that's just where he hung out like that's where George went uh you know Paul stayed in London but also went to Scotland a lot and was in Scotland and did all of his ram stuff and right after this and then John ends up going to New York you know Ringo I'm not sure I think he stayed in London too but um you know, so they all kind of, you know, did that, you know. But like, like Paul McCartney after this went on to do Wings and like he became like, he he still performs to this day. He still yeah. performs live. Did, did George Harrison really perform live much into his not solo a, career? Not until like the Traveling Wilburys where he, and he, and it was very little. That's was, like 20 years after this. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, no, he didn't. No, he, he, he you're right. I think, I do think he was, he was over it. He was over the Beatlemania. He was done with, he was tired of it. And I think he kind of convinced John to be over it too. You know, I think that was a part of why John left England, you know, like why he went to New York. Because, um, you know, I think a big part of Beatlemania was the British music machine that, that pumped out all those bands you know, and it will it would continue at this point to pump out like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and all that stuff still coming out of England at this time. 
And and so like Josh, do you think do you kind of see like do you agree with that that George was over it and that was a big part of the 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 breakup of the Beatles here too? It wasn't you know we talked about the Alan Klein of it all and we'll get to that, but yeah, like I th- again I think we talked about it a lot last time. I think George kind of felt like he had outgrown the Beatles. You know they had him in a they had him in a role. He's like you know I'll, I'll make a hockey analogy I guess because I'm wearing a, a Leafs hoodie, but like he's like you know the the second line center on the Beatles and he wants to go maybe to a team where he can be the star. And, and I think he, he's not on the Beatles, you know, it, arguably he's the, the fourth fiddle. He's the quiet Beatle. Like, you know, Ringo for some reason was more popular probably cause he's a little more charismatic. Um, usually the drummer's the background guy, but uh, yeah. Like, it, what I if they were a curling it. team, Josh, what, what, who would be what position? That's exactly what I said uh, last episode, Dave, that Ringo's the lead, George is the second, and then I, I think it goes back and forth between who's the skip and who's the vice between John and Paul. I think in this album, it's Paul as the skip. Yeah, he's been the skip since Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he Whether says he wants it, to be or not. You know? kinda, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, Before it was John. John was the skip, probably everything pre-Sgt. Pepper. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but from Sgt. Pepper on, it's pretty clear that Paul's running the show and george isn't content to be the second anymore in this episode like in this story in this album i feel like george was throwing the lead rocks and then saying he was injured so he couldn't sweep so he was just (laughs) sitting down and watching everyone else play like he he put in he he put in no effort so yeah and like as billy preston was their fifth but he would sub in for for george <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I I just looked this up like because I, I it kind of came to my mind when I was watching this, and then I kind of looked it up quickly before this. I believe Jake might know this or Jeff, um, that George specifically didn't want any of his songs played on the rooftop. Yes, that's right, because a lot of his songs are slow, and a lot of his songs have this, um, you know, they're hard to do with a with a rock group. To be honest, like, you know, that's the thing with George's songs. I think that's a part of why John and Paul kind of like, you know, especially John, because we kind of kind of got that in the first episode. Why, they, you know, George's songs got kicked to the curb a lot. And, you know, we look back at them like Jake. We look back at those songs that are on All Things Must Pass as all these great songs. And they are. I love All yeah. Things Must Pass. But at the same time, for them to go up there and, and play All Things Must Pass, like it would be something. I, Imagine or they went there and tried to play something. Or I even I Me Mine. Even I, I Me Mine would have been good the way they redid it. But at the time, they didn't have that song as a rocker yet, you know? So, like, yeah, Jake, what do you make of that? Yeah, like, it makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it kind of goes with the theme that they wanted to play more conventional rock songs on the roof, not obviously yeah i mean mine or something or you know old brown shoe or something like that that probably wouldn't have worked right uh and, and i i think you know how they say right before they go on the roof they have like a, that meeting on the fourth floor before they go up yeah. i think that's part of the meeting like i think that's like george like we're not doing any of my fucking songs and you know like i think that was said uh you know like maybe he just didn't, maybe he just didn't want to sing on the roof yeah but like old brown shoe that couldn't have worked they would have needed a grand piano though up there. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah, like they could have done for you blue, and they could have yeah. like you know, but they didn't have I mean mine done yet, so they couldn't really do that one. Um, you know, so and I can't even think of another one they could have done of his other than something. 
uh, all things must pass. They, but they're not going to do that. It's too, it's kind of a too slow of a song. Like it wouldn't even be loud. Like people would be like, what's going on? You know, like it makes sense why they picked all the songs they picked, but they, they, you know, at the same time, they, I think they should have, um, there was a few songs that they, they were, they rehearsed, uh, in the, but they, they had the organ out there for, for Billy Preston, right? Right. The electric piano. Yeah. Electric piano. Like they couldn't have done let it be up there. No, see, like I don't think because like just because. But he has the organ and the piano too, right? Like it's kind of got yeah. that juxtaposition. Yeah, so I don't or long and winding road, like it's it's they're not like electric piano songs, like you know, yesterday they have that on there, but like they're they're grand piano songs, you know. So like mm -hmm. it, it, they, but they could have done some old songs, like or even white album songs, you know. They could have done Helter Skelter, you know. They could have done like while my guitar gently weeps. Yeah, they George. could have done. Yeah, they could have done that, and like you know, but they, you know, they didn't. Uh, but they did uh, not. <laughs> they they played a few songs more than once. Um, what did you guys uh, make of the whole police in this episode? Like you know, you could tell. I felt like J J Josh and Jake as, you know, you, what did you guys make of like kind of how they dealt with this? Because it felt like to me that they didn't want. Like they were pissed off because they got thirty complaints within minutes, but they didn't really want to like be the be the guys to go break up the Beatles. <laughs> I thought the one guy did. I thought the first, like the main first guy who was always chewing on his little thing. I thought he did. He was a, he was a bit of a hardo. Uh, yeah, I think that sergeant that showed up at the end, he was kind of yeah, that guy on the left. He he wanted to break them up. He must have got like bullied by someone who liked the Beatles when he was younger. Um, <laughs> And then the sergeant shows up later and he's all like happy and cheery. He's like, oh, they're on the roof. He just wants to go up there and watch. He wants to watch the Beatles. But by the time he gets up there, they've already like agreed to shut down. And they're like, yeah, you can't go out there because it will collapse or something. Like the <laughs> well, way to Definitely not stopping the concert now. <laughs> I love the um, when, once the police get up on the roof and Paul turns and he sees him, he turns back and he's the biggest grin on his face. Oh, yeah. He loves the it. police showed up. Yeah. Well, because that's yeah. a throwback to the first episode of this documentary, right? As Paul kind of said, it'd be cool if we did it somewhere where we're not allowed and the police had to shut us down. Like, that would be kind of like them cool away. Little, yeah, cool protest concert. Yeah, it's real rock and roll, you know? Like, I, I see, like, you know, get that, you know, get them off on their toes. Their backs against the wall. They keep make, making these um, phrases throughout the doc, three part documentary of like, you know, we want to do something bad, basically. Yeah, and it's the same going back to where their last couple albums, it's almost like they've gotten too comfortable in their kind of studio, cushy life, like to just kind of do something to shake shake the band kind of back where they need to go. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think, I think a lot of the sentiments were all, like, like, in the right place and a good idea. And I think, you know, Paul has the right idea but with some in some ways with the wrong personnel where i think you know what's going on with john his personal life and, and george with his religious uh you know uh, life and everything that i think where there the whole beetle mania of it all wasn't that long ago and i think they're just like over it like you know uh and, and, well not but not paul and not ringo uh but the other two are kind of like you know one foot yeah. in one foot out one uh, foot in, yeah Right, uh, George seems like he's ready. To, like he obviously he quits the band in this in in the part at the end of part one, 
Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of meetings at Ringo's house later, he's willing to kind of do it, you know, at least finish this. And I guess they got how many months later was Abbey Road? Like, no, they literally in February, they recorded that. So that was like only a month later. Yeah. Yeah. Where they, yeah. Uh, I think February 2020 to like something somewhere in March. Like it was like a four or five week period that they probably when Ringo was done the movie, like I said earlier, it's almost like they, it would have been nice if they had just made like one big album, because I feel like by the time let it be comes out later, everyone's kind of disappointed in it because it's like almost like the leftover songs from, from Abbey road, plus the ones they did on the rooftop. So they can't, put them in abbey road you know what i mean like it, yeah. it would have been nice if they made it like a big album like the white album and just had one nice album it would have been cool if they had done like abbey road as one of like the sides of the double album and Savile row is the other side of the double album you know like that would have been cool and then like you know so you get like this very studio polished songs and you get like the more rocker live stuff you know like that would have been a cool idea for them to, to have done uh but then the thing is and i kind of want to talk about this is you know they have the meeting here with alan klein dave yes and you know they don't really they don't show us the meeting but they do show us them talking about how the meeting went okay it's like george and john talking right yeah with i believe uh, john glynn's and and i think it's very important um you know as far as like beetle historians and people who who understand what happened to this band um was this alan klein guy came in for an American guy who had always wanted to manage the Beatles and the Beatles were kind of looking for a manager because they'd been managing themselves for two years. And they even admit in this episode that he's like a con man. They know he's a con man. They know he's a shyster, but he's like, Oh, he's going to be on our side because every, you know, everyone that they've dealt with from EMI have always basically given them the worst deal. Like, you know, basically EMI would, 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 would take like, you know, 90%, I don't know the number, but like a majority of the money from their recordings and like that's what they had signed when they first became famous and they didn't know better they you know and and so now when they started apple they wanted to hold you know control it but the thing is they needed studios they needed all these different things you know so it's very interesting the dynamic what did you make of that whole conversation about alan klein dave well, I, I didn't know much about the history of it. Like, I knew the name Alan Klein. And, like, so this, like, because I'm, you know, I'm t- I got my notes here. Okay, yeah. Like, so George teaches is teaching the song something. And it seems like John and Paul are helping him. And then all of a sudden, they're talking about Alan Klein. But I, and then royalties, the Rolling Stones are coming up a bit. And I was just kind of like, and then Biafra was being talked about for some reason. Uh, and, like in some kind of charity work anyway so i was kind of lost through most of it like just like even though i kind of know the story i i was just like what are they talking about and did they miss the mark in this documentary series because like this is peter jackson's chance to say something different than the original let it be documentary did in 1970 which was like basically this is why the beatles broke up because they were they were egomaniacs and they couldn't get out of each other's way and i think that's kind of true and they were so miserable playing together again that they had to break up but they were kind of mis- like they weren't even as miserable as they think they were because I think the, the edit of that 1970 documentary put them in the headspace that like that sucked and I didn't like being with those guys and that documentary kind of like created that mindset for them mm-hmm. for years, right? You know, um, but this documentary really could have done more to talk about it was really the business aspects that broke them up. The fact that Alan, like, like Epstein died, uh, that was his name, right? Epstein? Yeah, Brian Epstein. Yeah. 
you have Brian Epstein, he died, and then they managed themselves, and then this guy, Alan Klein, who they know is kind of like a Colonel Parker, kind of a, a, a like, like a shifty manager type, is involved. Um, and then what what happened like later? It's Paul wants to bring in his father in law, basically, yeah. right? Yeah, and his father, yeah, who was like a high up lawyer in New York, and basically said we can trust look lads we can trust him you know whereas he didn't want to he didn't trust this alan klein which you know rightfully so well maybe uh, they needed a third option is really what the truth of it like because i get why the other beatles wouldn't want somebody so close to paul to be like the manager either right so it's like but was was they couldn't find somebody else in all this is there only there's only um corrupt uh music managers jeff well, it's that's what I was kind of getting to, and maybe uh, Josh, can, can you speak a little bit to to this? That like you know, it seems like the music industry is like this corrupt cabal, and it's hard to find anybody that's like you know genuinely going to look out for them. That's kind of how the Beatles were, seems like they were describing it, and that's why they ended up deciding to manage themselves and start Apple and do all that, all that that whole direction. But they got to a point where it's like it's getting too big and it's getting too much for us to be a rock group and run apple you know yeah i mean i think the music industry has been pretty exposed in recent years about how you know they the the record labels and the producers kind of take advantage of the talent they they get them when they're not famous they make them sign these crazy deals if you sign a hundred nobodies to these deals and one of them takes off and you're getting 90 percent of their earnings you know they're they're stuck there right like yeah. we look at what happened with like britney spears you know what i mean like it's right it's that kind of crazy stuff. And I think the Beatles have realized that they realized that they kind of went through their most, you know, prolific phase. They probably could have made a lot more money and now they're, they're trying to protect themselves. And as you know, we know with Klein, it ended up ultimately being what made McCartney say he was leaving the band was he didn't want to be with this guy who was, you know, a predatory, not that this is the reason he did it, but kind of a predatory manager. Um, he wanted to be with someone they could trust and they might not get them the best deal, but it would get them the best deal as the Beatles, not the manager. So I don't know. I, I don't know a lot about the the breakup, um, but it's uh, it was interesting that when Paul didn't seem to be in the room, John started bringing up the Alan Klein stuff. Uh, you know, it was it was yeah. interesting. Yeah, Jake, like, did, is that what you kind of, like, gathered from it, too? It seemed like John was the one that was like, all right, we're going to get this Alan Klein in, and he's going to be our muscle to go against the music industry for us. And Paul Paul doesn't want – wouldn't go for that. So we're not going to, like, you know – like, he he knows about it, but he's not go, not going to be privy to every, like, aspect of the direction that we want to go here. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I think he was first talking to just George about it and saying, like, talking about Alan Klein. He's like, yeah, I want to, I was going to bring it up, but it's all of this together. But they've been together a lot and he hasn't said anything. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, they, they, um, then later on when they're having the meeting and, John's like, oh, like, yeah, Alan Klein's here. We're going to go up and talk to him. And you can just kind of see Paul's face. He's just kind of like, like a whatever, yeah. like completely disinterested kind of face, whereas John seems to be really, really kind of enamored with him, saying how great he is and how smart he is. And all, he has all these great ideas and all this great stuff he's going to do. So I well, think... Even 
Yeah, and not to interrupt, but, but like even John Glynn's says like, look, he's like he'll cut you off halfway through your sentence and be like, what are you doing? And like, you yeah, know, he's like, he's like, I don't like that, you know. He's like, this he's supposed to be representing you, and he's kind of like bullying you guys, and they, you know, and John's like, yeah, but you know, we're used to dealing with bullies, and they're always against us. At least this guy's with us, you know. It's basically what he said, mm-hmm. which I I think John Glynn's is like, all right, you know, yeah, I don't know well, about and- that. And for anyone who doesn't know, like, basically what happened is after the Beatles broke up, McCartney was like, I'm not working with this guy, but he had a contract with the Beatles. So um, Klein was the manager of, of Lennon, Harrison and and Ringo solo. And within like three years of that, Harrison, like, tried to fire him. Lennon was quoted as saying, oh, I think Paul was right about this guy. And Klein ended up suing the Beatles and suing Apple. And there was this huge legal dispute. And watching the documentary and seeing, you know, firsthand evidence that this guy had basically duped at least John and and George. I, they didn't really show Ringo's thoughts on him. It kind of shows like, okay, Paul's kind of a, he's kind of boring and he's making them work on his songs too much, but maybe he, he read this guy correctly. Well, I, from what I understand that it's so basically what happened was they, the Beatles had a vote about Alan Klein and it was originally, it was like Paul and Ringo were on the kind of the same side and George and John basically kind of like convinced Ringo to vote for Alan. And that's when the Beatles broke up. Like that was like when it happened. So then Paul sued the Beatles, you know, he left the Beatles and then sued them, you know? And so, because he wanted his rights back basically, which I believe he ended up getting, but it took a while, but um, you're right. And then he went on to manage John and George and Ringo solo at careers. And that did not end well either, you know? So yeah, you're right. That John eventually was like oh he was right about him and you know so this whole thing with alan klein is like unnecessary didn't need to happen once again kind of like you know this this whole doing this in five weeks didn't they didn't need to do it this way you know dave like what do you kind of like do you think like i feel like they put themselves in impossible situations a lot you know yeah well like it's like they, they 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 definitely bit off more than they can chew right like and more than some of them want to chew because George just wants to make studio albums and Paul has these great lofty ambitions and he wants to make music videos and movies and different things. And he wants to, you know, expand in different ways. And John, John, I think just wants to make good songs. But no, I feel wants- like I feel like John wants to, like, stick it to the man. He wants to, like, get back at the music industry. He wants to, like, he's a music he's a revolutionary he's like a like an anarchist he's like burn it like you know like i feel like that's kind of the way he looks at it like he's like you know he's like we're gonna get what's ours you know because i think they were kind of screwed over in their original deal you know right but like i don't get john sometimes like this whole like like he's a great guy and he's also this asshole you know like and like i don't know what like i don't know exactly what went on with alan klein throughout his net life but when Alan Klein died in 2009, Jeff, this is something interesting. You know, like Yoko Ono and Sean Lennon, they both went to the funeral, so they were still on good terms with him in 2009. Interesting. I mean, if you right? go to somebody's funeral, I mean, I guess you're on somewhat good terms. Doesn't I mean you agree with them everything business-wise, though. I guess, right? Yeah, but like this is like a long time after anything John Lennon and 
Alan Klein. And it makes me wonder how much was Yoko Ono pushing for Alan Klein for whatever reason. And, um, yeah. you know, who, don't, like, don't quote me on this, but I think this is like really long ago knowledge and it's just because of what you said. But I feel like Yoko might have had like a thing with where Klein after the fact, after John was dead, kind of helped her push back against the other Beatles a bit. So maybe there was a reconciliation there, but that's complete hearsay. Like this is something I maybe read years ago. I could see that. Like maybe he helped her like basically cover John's assets or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Put it in like, you know, because, uh, you know, the other thing is like when I was just looking earlier, but like John legally changed his name as well to like John Winston Ono Lennon. And like maybe that was a legal thing. I don't know how all that works. You'd know better than me, Josh. But um, I do think that like they're they were married. And like, I do think that that there is some like, you know, the other Beatles definitely could have had, you know, three to one vote or I don't know how their contracts worked, uh, you know, but. It definitely some some arguments definitely took place uh, once John died. I think of, as far as what they could do, uh, you know, with with their their songwriting, their royalties, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, Dave, uh, go to Jake. Sorry, um, with, with with the rooftop concert, you know, what did you what did you make of like them like? The kind of like the snapshot of time I, I kind of took from like here in January of 1969, they're asking like, Hey, do you know the, the music they're playing? Like, do you know, um, like, you know, what's going on? Some of them are like, yeah, it's the Beatles, ain't it? And then others like, no, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and they're like, you know, I guess it's not just this, like, I felt like they didn't really care as much that it's the, like we would today, obviously, but like, even back then, like, they're like, yeah, it's cool. But like, you know, whatever it's the Beatles, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of it was, um like some people would would know that that's where the Beatles studio is and that they are making an album there right now not necessarily that you know they're actually on their like they may not even know that they're on the rooftop playing they might think oh they're practicing and there's a window open so we can hear everything like maybe it wasn't quite the shock value that you would we would think if they knew oh they're actually on the rooftop and they're playing like a concert I guess you could call it yeah. Um, it seemed like a few people referenced like, oh, like, I thought those studios were soundproofed or like, you know, what's going on, you know, where's the music coming from? So I think it was more almost confusion than it was actually people like realizing what was going on. Yeah, I think it was a bit of that. And it's also like I enjoyed seeing like some of the, you know, just like the just the people of the time kind of just, you know, reacting to it. Um it's the type, especially in, in HD, like, you know, for me, yeah. it was so cool to see that. Well, like the old, uh, the old battle axe being like, oh, they woke me up for my nap. <laughs> she, you, right, she had on my nap. She and was I'm like not, a Monty Python character. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not happy about it. I love you. Like, all I could think throughout that whole thing was like, this is like the Beatles last concert. And like, I, I'm always, I'm always like amazed by like, 30 complaints is more important than maybe the count. Like maybe there's a lot of people not complaining too. And yeah. maybe that this isn't such a inconvenience or such a, a crime is, is it really being committed here? Uh, they played a couple songs for like, an, like not even an hour uh, in the middle of the day. Uh, in a, yeah. Go ahead, Josh, you know, legally, like are, are, are they disrupting the peace here? Is, is this a, you, you let it go. If you're the police, do you have to shut it down? Like what's going on? 
like I would say 100% they were disrupting the piece, but at the same time, it's the Beatles. Like, yeah. you know, it's it's whatever. But I think it's it was really interesting watching that and when they're talking about the 30 complaints and, you know, 90% of people are having fun and there's a few people complaining. It's like, it's like a social experiment. It's like literally what we deal with every day, like not any issue in particular, but there's always going to be the vocal minority pissed off about something. They don't care how many people are made happy. It's ruining their day. They're going to complain. And the law is sort of, you know, if it upsets one person, we need to stop it, even if it makes right. everyone else happy. And I thought that was really cool to see. And I don't know if Peter Jackson was doing that on purpose by kind of highlighting this cop kept saying, oh, we've had 30 complaints. We have 30 complaints. Meanwhile, you've got people from the ages of 15 to 75 out on the street saying they're having a great time and they love this. So it was I thought it was really cool to see, you know, the you know, some things never change, basically. Yeah, no, for sure. And okay, the other thing I want to say about the rooftop concert is like, okay, I I was doing my flyers earlier, and I was watching the Grey Cup halftime show. Okay, the sound was terrible. Like for me, like I was I was now I was just watching it on my phone. But if I watched the rooftop concert, it would be way 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 better. Why? Like why is in? This is like fifty years ago. Like why? What happened? Like, I mean, I know this is about the Great Cup. I don't know if you guys all watched that halftime show, but like, it, I, I, I did not enjoy. I'm a huge Arkells fan. I did not think it was very good. Maybe Jay, no, did you watch? Did you watch it? Did yeah, I, I, I think it's almost because it was simpler. Like, there was there's probably for the Great Cup. There's probably way more like mics, way more channels that everything's kind of gets muddled. Whereas the Beatles one, it was you know, it was like analog versus digital. You know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. it was truer. It was a much truer sound. Yeah. Like Josh, uh, did you watch that great cup thing or whatever? Like I, it was, yeah, I, I was I, watching I, it with Jake and you know, I, I think it's part of it's just production value. Like, I don't know if it's what's going on in Hamilton, but I feel like the Super Bowl they do a great job is when you're watching the halftime show, you can like turn up the bass and it sounds like you're listening to an album. Yeah. Whereas like that Arkell's halftime show yesterday, like it was, like it was, yeah, it sounded like I was listening to it on the speakers and like a, you know, a 91 cutlass or something. It, it wasn't good. <laughs> it was not good. It was really bad. It's a deep cutlass. And it was, it was just not well sound mixed. They needed John Glenn's. They needed a sound engineer. Well, yeah, they had all that talent there, like in one little studio. Plus all the equipment they could just bring up and. They had Alan Parsons. I, I haven't seen this Arkells uh, halftime show because I'm also an Arkells fan, and uh, I, I was curious to see how they would sound. But maybe they just hired a bad sound design group or something. Um, I, I don't know. It was I, you know there. I had a whole bunch of problems with that halftime show. I was, but I mean, that, yeah. I think it's all like you know the wireless mics, and there's they have mics on probably fifty different people, and yeah. I don't know. It just, yeah. it, it, I think it just makes everything all kind of muddy and mashed together. Like it just doesn't sound right. Yeah. I think when you, you're bringing up different bands to play with you and then you got this whole other person coming up with you. And then it's like, you got all these horns and you got all these people jumping around on the stage. It's just like, you're right. Uh, Jake, like simpler, just, you know, do the analog versus digital. I'll take the analog, uh, you know, all day. I'll take the vinyl over the CD any day. Uh, yeah. you know, and that's kind of what makes me, I think why the Beatles are so timeless, why I love them so much. is just like, they, you know, take me back, take me back to the roots of music. Get back, get, get back. back, get back. Um, 
Okay. Uh, Dave, I got a couple questions. Yeah, you got a couple questions. Hit me. George Harrison, for the guy who didn't want to play on the roof yeah. and kind of was fighting it, he was the guy who defiantly puts his turns the amp back on when they, they the cops make this dude, uh, this road manager guy, uh, turn it off. Mal. Right? Mal. Mal. I was like, why did they yeah. need a road manager considering they never go on the road? But um, <laughs> it's he, this guy who played the hammer in like part one or whatever for Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Okay. Uh, uh, George- yeah. So uh, just two things quick. Yeah. George, I don't think he, he's like, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go all the way and I don't care. And he did, you know, I, I don't think he was too interested in, um, yeah, helping out the police or anything like that. Kind of like, I think John would have done the same thing. I think they all were happy to do it. They're like, we're famous. We're rich. Nothing's really going to happen to us. Maybe it was just George. This is a little, uh, you know, speculation. Maybe he was just pissed off. They turned off his amp. They're like, why did they turn off my amp? Because I'm George Harrison. Why didn't they turn off Paul's? Yeah, and they're always picking on me, George. Yeah. The least appreciated Beatle of them all. Yeah, he's yeah. like, I'm not the quiet Beatle tonight. Turns it up. Um, yeah, okay, guys. Do you know uh, anything about like how what happened to Mal Evans? Do you guys the roadie? Like, do you, do, do you, any of you guys know the story about how he died? He died. Oh, he's dead. Oh, okay. oh yeah, he di- he died. Yeah, in the 70s. Okay, so. All right, crazy story. Okay, so he, in 19, I believe it's 1976 or 77, he was in L.A., and he was, you know, so he had, he was writing this book called, um, you know, Living the Beatles Legend or something like that, and he was going to release, like, all this, like, yeah, all this background of, like, you know, the Beatles, who they were, what they were like, and he knew them better than anybody, right? And so he was on, um, in a hotel, I believe, in L.A. with this guy, and they got into an argument, and there was, like, a call of the police. That's why it made me think about it again, because the police came, the LAPD, to this hotel room, and then he, like, got onto the balcony with an, it was an airsoft rifle, and he was, like, holding it up, and he was like, ah, and then the police gunned him down. And that's how Mal Evans died. Where was this? What city? In L.A. L.A. Because he's from up. England, he doesn't think he's going to get shot by the police because he's from England. Probably. And then he goes to, to L.A. with an airsoft gun. Obviously, you're going to get shot. Yeah, like a fascinating story. I mean, like, yeah, what happened to him? But like, here, I'll read you real quick what happened to him. Yeah, on January 5th, 1976. So seven years after this. Right. Evans was so despondent that Hughes phoned uh, a guy named John Horning, um, Evans co-writer for his biography. Yeah, that was you know what he was writing. And he said he went to visit him and saw Evans that he was really doped up and groggy. But Evans told Horney to make sure he finished uh, the book. Uh, he helped Evans upstairs to his bedroom. Uh, but during an incoherent conversation, air, Evans picked up an air rifle uh herney struggled with evans but evans was much stronger and held on to the weapon hughes then phoned the police and told them that evans was confused had a rifle and was on valium four police officers arrived and three of them uh went up to the bedroom they later reported that as soon as evans saw the three police officers he pointed the rifle at them the officers immediately told evans to put the weapon down but he refused and then the police fired six shots four hitting evans and killing okay yeah so jeff i already know you believe that the beatles drugged him up gave him an air rifle and then called the cops so they could kill him to stop the book from coming out. Because oh. that sounds like your kind of conspiracy theory. No, 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 no. I, I would never go that far. <laughs> uh, my, my, the whole, okay. The actual conspiracy theory about this is that he 
you know, it's a whole, it goes down into the whole Paul is dead thing that he had, you know, you know, you know, stuff with the Paul, you know, Paul being replaced and he was going to release it and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that was, that's the whole, like why he was killed, but I don't believe any of that. I just think he was probably drugged up and, um, yeah, had a bad day. And you're right. Like, I think he was in LA and not in England and probably didn't expect to get murdered by the police. Uh, you know, so there's that. Yes. When he said when he died that George Harrison arranged for his family to receive 5,000 pounds as he had not maintained any life insurance or any kind of pensions or anything like that. And uh, he was, was 5,000 like, no. a lot back then or something. <laughs> Five thousand pounds. Well, none of them went to the funeral either, so they didn't care that much for him, Jeff. Uh, it's so that's what I find so odd about this this whole story because he was like their roadie for like twelve years, time. like like since the fifties. Like he was he was around them, yeah, for a long time, and was like they all like talked about his, he was like their good buddy, and like he, they went everywhere with them. He was kind of like their muscle, and and so. Yeah, for them to like, there's no mention of it. The Beatles never talk about it. They never really bring him up and go, "We miss Mal." Like, I don't know. His, <laughs> his, his ashes were lost uh, in the postal system, Jeff. Uh, wow. While being returned, um, and then John Lennon joked saying they should look in the dead letter file. Yeah, dark stuff, <laughs> right? So, go ahead, Josh. Paul McCartney or Ringo Starr, if you're watching this, we want to know what you think about Mal. This is this yeah. needs to be addressed. You know you're watching right now. You're probably coming in on the Twitch stream. Um, and... right. <laughs> you're one of those four. You know, two of the four, Ringo and Paul. Um, yeah, but I want to know what happened to him and why they never talk about him and like what. what I know we're coming I... to the end of our hour, but I we had this. I had this other one question I didn't get to. Yeah that uh we kind of skipped over but there's this one part where like john and paul are playing this song together with like their teeth clenched for the whole song what the hell was this (laughs) i thought it was a lot of fun (laughs) yelena was my wife she was like i'm gonna have nightmares tonight she couldn't even look at john on the screen she was like this she was like what is wrong with him he looks like a demon yeah, he really like clinched his face up really like crazy and like yeah, like I I mean I think they were just having fun, but like, you know, I was impressed. Like again, again I said this last episode, but like with Paul's voices and uh, uh, I I try doing that, try talking on your, you know, not that easy. It's like who asked them to do this? I don't get it. No, I, I actually think that them doing that, because they have to they have to harmonize their voices for the song. I think them doing that was almost like a um, like an exercise to kind of get their their pitch on the same level and their tone just to like help them harmonize. Like obviously it's for fun, but I think it was just like a way to kind of loosen them up and to get them kind yeah. of going on the same, like the same level. I think like you notice like throughout the episode, John does that a lot where he, he kind of like has fun with his words and kind of like does it in a funny voice. And then yeah. Paul kind of like, Oh, like feeds off that. And then they kind of like get it. You're right. Jake, get into that harmony together. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We burst out laughing during the credits when they're, when uh, Paul's doing let it be for like the 50th time. And John's like <laughs> mouthing it the whole time. He's like, 
and then yeah. the, the words <laughs> pop up and it's like this this version was used on the album let it be meanwhile john's just making fun of it the whole time uh, i love too when he starts let it be and then he goes and he just go he screws up and he goes and then it's just like john's just like what the shit was that and he starts, <laughs> they start doing that german accent stuff it's really funny yeah, yeah. And he, i guess it was like the final take right he goes i think that was rather grand i'd take one home and he goes we've got so many of that bastard that's got to be good enough right yeah you know he's just like it was funny um yeah you know but then i was like you guys didn't like clearly just playing together for the most at least for john and paul like they should have kept going right I think as the, those two, maybe not George. I think George was meant to go and go off, and Ringo was just kind of like a tag on, you know. So, um, like, I mean, I it, it is it is sad. I agree, with David. That they're the two best songwriters um, as a team, but you know, ever, ever, probably and, and, like, you know, like Lieber who, and Stoller, and it's like those two guys, you know, like you know, and they probably would have, you know, if John had died in 1980, because like you know, like there was decades to come, and it's po- very possible that they would have you know for the anthology or whatever it would have gone back together you know it's, john even said in some interviews like mm-hmm. yeah we'll probably beatles will eventually come back together in some form i think but there was a were- paul quote in one of the episodes where he said that he's like oh 20 years we'll all get back together and we'll play and we'll think this is silly that we did this right yeah like and i think the i think one of the sad things about john's death is that they were supposed to um they were supposed to meet each other like only a week or two after he got assassinated to to talk about doing i believe a saturday night live performance there there was a whole there was conversations about that that there were the beatles were going to come back and and do snl so um yeah so like you know that's a, that's the sad stuff about i was when snl know. really sucked too like that would have been like that would have been a big get for them at that time well, George Harrison had already done SNL with Paul Simon. Um, and that was John, like Joe Piscopo days, nineteen eighty-one or whatever. So it's, SNL's always sucked, but it's I mean, that's before Eddie it, Murphy was even there. Right, Come on, right. <laughs> but it's but it's it's sucked and it's great at the same time, you know. Um, but yeah, and John was already in New York, and you know Ringo will show up if his name gets you know if if he's involved. Ringo will show up. Yeah, Ringo will be there. He's he'll be if Ringo will play Casino Niagara. He was gonna Casino Rama, Casino Rama. Yeah, not even uh, Niagara. Yeah, Rama yeah. up in Barry. Rama up in Barry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's the thing. Um, okay, I think we're getting toward the end here guys uh if there's anything you guys want to bring up that we have not brought up uh feel free to do so now forever hold the peace on get back here uh you know i think it's it's nice that they i i, I think that he peter jackson could have made this shorter for the for i'm gonna go on the record i think like of these of these six hours i think maybe at least one more hour could have been cut out of this just of just kind of boring yeah redundant stuff I think a half hour of each of the first two episodes could have been cut. I, yeah. I agree, though I would say, you know, we're, we taught this guy that if you make one movie 30 minutes longer than it needs to be, you're going to win like 11 Oscars for that movie. So maybe he's, yeah. he's doing that now. Um, yeah. And then this is my little sort of takeaway. You, you can say the rest of yours after Dave, I only have this one. Did anyone else get trained by the end of this, that whenever the, the little words popped up on the screen, like, you know, um, this was used on the album or whatever, you got like excited. Did anyone yeah. else feel like that? Yeah. Like that, 
it was weird. I, I, I became self-aware of that by the third episode. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Why do I care so much when Peter Jackson like texts me on the screen <laughs> during during the, the footage? Like, oh, this was the take they used. I, I, I was get, getting like kind of excited by that. And I thought that was weird. That was the biggest takeaway I had from this entire uh, trilogy. I already knew that it was the take they used and I still got excited. Yeah, <laughs> he's training us. It's like because we watch, we must have watched too much pop up video when we were younger or something. <laughs> this must have been Jake. Well, Eddie. So, okay, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, Dave. No, there's just they're like, like, yeah, like there's just so much rehearsal of certain, especially certain songs in this, right? Like, like mm -hmm. Get Back in particular and uh, Don't Let Me Down. And you're like, really? Like, all those takes weren't good enough? Like, this was the final good one that you used? Okay, sure. It sounds as about the same as it did every other time you played it i think you know, it came down to dave like they spent four years like um redoing all this footage and making it hd and he's like I, i'm not putting that leaving this on the cutting room floor i think that was basically what it came down to you know like it, it's like to him it would have been a shame but it's it, well, it, it's if it's for like just the beatles super fans great but i think to like bring in like a new generation into the beatles i think that this wouldn't serve that purpose yeah. Well, originally it was supposed to be a movie, right? Before COVID. So it'd be kind of cool if they released the like condensed version, like the original, like two and a half hour movie that was supposed to go into theaters. And that was like an alternative viewing experience. Mm -hmm. Also, I, I read somewhere a couple of weeks ago, they might be re releasing a remastered version of the original Let It Be movie on Disney Plus. So that would be kind of cool. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Um, okay, uh, one other thing uh, I wanted to mention was I'm so glad that there was no like modern day like interview or there was nothing, it was just the 60s stuff, like it was just a pure documentary like style. Like, there was no like, hey, uh, Paul's like explaining, oh, this is when we did this, and no, no, I'm I'm glad I was really mad at George this day or whatever they would throw in, you know. I like no, it just it you don't really need it because because he did do this six hour version, like you know. Sure, there's things we might not see and like there might be more context taken out, but I think for the most part, you get a real sense that like by the end of it, I was like, I I Paul's exactly what I thought he was. John is this kind of mixed bag person george is whiny and moody and, and super talented yeah. and then and, and ringo's asleep <laughs> and farting and farting he sounds like my kind of guy that was the other best part with like you know the long and winding road and like and paul's played it and he's like i guess not much drumming for you ringo and he just looks at ringo's asleep you know he's like all right yeah yeah you wouldn't play drums for this song. long and winding road which is funny because the drums in that song and the final product are like amazing right so yeah yeah, they, they they redid a few of these songs like a year later in, I believe, January 1970 uh, and kind of overdubbed some of the vocals. And so even though some of the things like he said, like, oh, this is the take they used. Yes, that's true. But then they they did go back and do things once. Yeah. Again. Uh, Jake, any last takeaways here for the Beatles get back? Uh, yeah, like I said, like the way that I watched, I basically watched the whole thing and like 48 hours. So it was a lot of information at once. Um, yeah, I really liked the way that Peter Jackson did it. Um, similar to like a World War One documentary, the They Shall Not Grow Old. It was all every, every footage, every voice, every, it was all original from the time. Um, it, yeah, and this is definitely something that, you know, you kind of let it breathe for a bit and then maybe 
couple months, a year down the line, you rewatch it again, and it'll probably pick up on a bunch of stuff that you didn't even notice the first time watching it. Yeah, though that's I I agree, and I think that's kind of like even though it is too long as a Beatles fan, like I understand why Peter Jackson made it so long because you exactly what Jake just said. You can go back and rewatch it and check it out. You can skip certain parts, like anytime Yoko's singing, that's a skip, you know. Uh, but you know, there's lots of cool stuff where you can kind of just like really be a fly in the wall here and just check out the cool one of the coolest bands of all time for sure. Um, okay. All right, I think uh, we've come to the end here, guys, of the Beatles Get Back Part 3. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we've uh, had a pleasure talking about this band and this this documentary that Peter Jackson put out here on Disney+. Plus. But uh, we do have lots of other great things here on Super Mater Bros. Podcasting. Dave, do you, can you run down some of the things that we have? We have Survivor. That's coming up on Survivor Wednesday. finale. Survivor season 41 is uh, finishing up this Wednesday, December 15th. Uh, we are anticipating a two-hour finale. So we're expecting to go on about 10.30 p.m. this Wednesday night. Jamil Robinson joined with Jeff and I as we've covered all season, all what, 13, 14 episodes uh, so far. Um, what are we down to final five, right? Final six? Final five. Final five. We are yeah. down. Final five in our six person pool. We have five of us that all have one person left. So it's kind of cool in our, in our survivor pool. Oh, nice. Yes. In our survivor pool, uh, it's basically between Daryl and Jeff. Uh, they're the only two who could possibly win this. Well, unless. Unless Heather, Heather comes out of nowhere and, and gets Jamil to win, but um, yeah, it's looking like. But uh, but Daryl, like he drafted, he drafted Danny, but then like he got like the bottom of the snake, and then he got like Ricard, and he got who was the other one he got? Uh, he another guy. Um, it doesn't matter that much. I think Heather kind of has a winner edit, so she could win. Xander, Xander, sorry, yeah, Xander. I have Deshaun and Erica. Go ahead, Josh. I have Deshaun. I have Deshaun. He's not winning. I I don't know. Like he, I feel like he has the second best chance to Ricard. I think Ricard's winning, guys. But we'll, you know, I have Ricard. <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to be the winner on Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, tune in for that because it might not happen. Because it gonna... won't be Shan. It won't be Nasir. I will not be winning this year. So <laughs> <No. it won't. laughs> um, yeah. So uh, check out that. And then also this this Saturday we're going to be talking about the newest Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe installment, Spider Man No Way Home. Uh, planning to do a podcast sometime on Saturday uh, to talk about that new movie. Uh, so check that out. Uh, we just we did Eternals not too long ago. We'll be looking at Hawkeye in a few weeks when that series on Disney Plus wraps. And um, I think that's all the Super Mater Brothers podcasting stuff. Uh, plus we have Live Long in Podcast, a Star Trek themed channel where we talk about uh, different Star Trek uh, properties. Um, we have, uh, uh, well, it's just tonight we did the enterprise theme, uh, the enterprise, uh, podcast. That's right. Uh, so that started with Jody Simpson uh, last week, uh, and Adam Woodward and Kevin Millards. We just talked about the third episode, which is kind of like the second episode of Star Trek enterprise fight or flight. And we'll be talking about every episode of Star Trek enterprise in order going, uh, continuing on from here. So, uh, if you, if you've never watched enterprise or even if you have, it's it's there for you. Plus, Deep Space Nine, very similar. Uh, we've been watching every episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Jeff Mater, the station commander, on Tuesday nights. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, tomorrow. Jeff um, for the cause. Michael Eddington, his lucky loony. Uh, he's he's betraying them for the Maquis. He betrayed his uniform. You're yeah. gonna see it all. I can't, um, can't wait. Can't wait. 
Yeah, and then uh, Thursday we'll be talking about the newest installment of Star Trek Discovery, uh, the fifth episode of season four, still untitled, not announced yet, but we'll be talking about that. Plus, we've talked about Star Trek Prodigy and Star Trek Lower Decks in terms of the new Star Trek shows this year. And this Sunday night, we'll be doing our next installment of Star Trek Radio Theater as we do uh, script reads of old Star Trek you know, shows and movies. Uh, this will be our season two finale as we're doing Star Trek First Contact. I'll be playing Captain Picard. Jeff will be playing Geordi LaForge. Uh, and others, so check that out live or the edited version, which will come out a few weeks later. Um, and uh, also, Jeff, did you know we also have a, a show called uh, Trivial Debates, yes. a monthly sh a monthly show where we argue about movies, TV, sports, and more. Um, we have Max Duda set to host the next installment on December 27th with Eamon Mader and Adam Woodward competing and, some and, and a yet-to-be-determined contestant. So, um, Very nice. Check all that out on our different channels and content. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for that rundown. Uh, Josh, Jake, you have anything you want to plug? Uh, if you need a lawyer, give me a call. That's about all I can say. <laughs> Jake, no? Uh, call, call Josh if you need a lawyer. Okay, perfect. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Uh, you know, so for all of us here at Super Mater Bros Podcasting, Jeff Mater, Dave Mater, Josh, Jake Shields, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time here on Super Mater Bros Podcasting. Good night. I think Thanks that was rather. Nice. I think that was rather grand, Jeff. I take one home. I hope we pass the audition. Oh, thank you.